I want you to get your Bible out and go to Psalm chapter 73. I want to share a word with you uh, out of Psalm 73 today that the Lord has just really uh, had on my heart this week. And as you're turning there, I want to share a scripture with you out of Philippians chapter 4. We'll put this one on the screen. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 through 7, as you find your way to Psalm 73. Here's what Paul wrote. He said, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. How many of you know that's easier to read than it is to live? Rejoice in the Lord always, and I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everybody. Some of you are like, my gentleness isn't known to anybody. What are you talking about? That's in there? (laughs) The Lord is near, as if you needed more incentive. Like, hey, the Lord is near. Let your gentleness be known to everybody. I read a story about a motivational speaker named Cavett Roberts. He tells the story about a time when he was attending a convention in Boston. It was a three-day convention, but he was mistakenly only booked for two nights in his hotel. So he got kicked out. He lost his reservation. He said these words. He said, after getting kicked out of my hotel, I I was entering the elevator. I got on the elevator. It came down and it stopped at the seventh floor. But nothing happened. So he's frustrated. He's leaving his hotel early. And the door's open. And he says, come on in. And nothing happens. He says, come on, let's get the show on the road here. He sees nobody. He's getting frustrated. He's, he's late for his, uh, late getting to the airport for the flight he had to book. He says, come on, let's go. Get the move on. I, I'm going to be late. And it's right then in that moment that he sees a fine looking gentleman with a white cane, come feeling his way into the elevator. And he's standing there when he realizes the man is blind. He can't say anything else. He's got a lump in his throat. but He knows he's got to break the tension because they get a long, quiet elevator ride. So he just says, how are you today? To which the man replied, grateful, my friend. I'm grateful. After that, Cavett says he couldn't say Anything else. He was too choked up. All the impatience. All the worry. That he was dealing with. All the tension that he was feeling. It just melted away. All of a sudden. None of it mattered. And as he tells the story. He says. Here was a man. Blessing the darkness. While I was cursing the light. I couldn't have cared less. Whether I caught that plane. Or not. I found myself that night. In my prayers asking that someday I might be able to see as well as that person. Now we've all been in that awkward situation. Maybe not that exact scenario. But we've been in moments where we allowed circumstances, worry, difficulties that we're dealing with. To blur our vision and to get our perspective off as to to really where things are. I mean, we've all made the mistake of make, making mountains out of molehills. Those little problems that just, 
it's just one too many. They stress us out. We overreact. We need to get a right perspective. And it's amazing how, how a different perspective can change our mood. You've experienced that before. Where just all of a sudden getting a fresh perspective, like, like Cavett did in that elevator. Or maybe, maybe for you it happened in a hospital room, a delivery room, when you're looking at a, a healthy newborn baby, and all of a sudden you realize all the things that you were worried about and hoping for don't matter anymore. As long as there's, look, there's ten fingers and ten toes, and they're healthy, all, that's all that matters. Or maybe it's at the other end of the spectrum, and, and it was standing over a coffin looking into the, 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 the Casket at a loved one and you realize that, man, it gives you a different perspective. All the stuff that you were consumed with, they don't matter anymore. Because at some point, life stops. And sometimes it happens in the house of God. Sometimes we come into a sanctuary and and all of a sudden we begin to praise God and worship God and, and lift our eyes to God. And as we worship, we see God in a more grand way. And all of the sudden, we get a fresh perspective. The stuff that we were so consumed with throughout the week. The stuff that we were so worried about for next week. All of a sudden those things, they just kind of fade into the periphery. And we can see God and His goodness. We get a fresh perspective on life. There's a shift that takes place. And I don't know of a better opportunity for that shift to take place in your heart and your life than in a moment of worship. Now, I'm not talking about just a moment of singing like we just had, though we shouldn't discredit the significance of that. I'm talking about that moment, whether it happens in a service like this one, or whether it happens while you're having your personal devotion time, or sharing a life group with Christian community members, or, or in just a, a time driving down the road. It's a moment... When you step out of yourself and in your heart and your mind, you step into the presence of God. When that transition happens, it's a shift. Your perspective changes. And there's not a greater opportunity for that to happen than to happen in a moment of worship. All of a sudden, perspective can change. That's my prayer for you this morning. In the time that we have, my hope is that you would have a perspective shift. That the way you were seeing things before today are going to look different when you leave. In fact, I want us to stop right here before we even look at Psalm 73. Let's ask God if He would make that happen. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank You that Your Word says You are here in the midst of two or three gathered in Your name. God, there's more than enough here To access your presence. We agree right now that you are present. And Lord, we move into your word with expectation that we're going to meet with you. Hear from you. And that our perspective is going to shift on the things that you want to show us. Thank you for it, God, in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 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 God wants to give you a fresh perspective today. Psalm chapter 73, a fresh perspective on your difficulties and a fresh perspective on his deity. When we can see God for who he is, all of a sudden we can understand where we are a little bit better. Amen. Amen. Stop asking the questions. Why? 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 Why this? Why that? What's going on? God, understand this. Let's just focus our eyes on him today and see who he is. If we can see who God is, 
we'll have a right perspective for what we're facing. I want to just take some time today to walk through this chapter. Psalm 73, beginning in verse 1. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Now, if you don't have a Bible today, this will be on the screen, but I want to encourage you to borrow one. We have them in the book racks under these chairs. I want you to put your eyes and hands on the Word of God today. Asaph is the writer, and he starts off pretty good. Sounds like most Psalms. He just begins with his declaration. Surely that God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. And we can all say, Amen. Right, teenagers? See? I lost you so quickly. But you got to remember something about this psalm. Asaph is writing from hindsight. He is not making a declaration saying, surely God is good to those who have a pure heart in the moment. He's writing it after the fact. What this is, is a testimony. This is the conclusion that he's come to. It's the conclusion we ought to come to. But look at the second verse. He says, but as for me. Can we all say those four words together? But as for me. My feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. God is good. But as for me. Do you have an but as for me in your worship? A lot of us do. We have this little clause, this little exemption. Like, oh, no, no, I know God is good. But here's what's going on in my life. There's a gap between our heart and our feet. What we know and where we go. Oh yeah, God is good. But as for me, here's what's happening in my situation. My feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. I want to tell you, God wants to close the gap between what you know in your head and where you go with your feet. We could talk all day about Bible and Bible stories and theology and what we know about God. But the question is, when the rubber meets the road, where is your faith leading you? And a lot of us, we're living in this tension of, but as for me, amen on Sunday, but as for me on Monday. He says, here's my, here's my deal. My feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my way. See, I would dare say most of us in this room today, we don't need more wisdom or we don't need more more revelation rather we don't need more knowledge about god i would dare say you probably have all the information that you need to do what's right to do what god wants you to do it's not knowledge we need it's wisdom knowledge is is gaining understanding wisdom is the application of that knowledge it's knowing when to use it and how to do it we need the wisdom of god to know where to go. Now let me, let me emphasize two grace words. If you're a person that likes to underline things and write things in your Bible, there's two grace words in the second verse. And the two words are almost and nearly. Let me read it again. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. Can I just say here, The reason that Asaph could say nearly and almost is because he was still near to God. He was near to God. In fact, if you skip to the end of this chapter and look at verse 27 and verse 28, he said, those who are far from you will perish. 
You destroy all who are unfaithful. But as for me, it's good to be near to God. Can I just encourage you today? Don't write the headline of your demise just yet. You're still near to God. You say, yeah, but you don't know what I'm dealing with. You don't know what I'm going through, but I know where you are. You got here. Amen. Pat yourself on the back. You're near to God. Don't be so quick to write the headline of your own demise. You might have felt like you ruined your marriage. You nearly ruined your marriage. You might have felt like you've blown it. You've nearly blown it. You might have felt like I fell off the wagon. I I can't recover. You almost slipped up. I nearly lost my foothold. Why? Why could he say that? Not because his failure wasn't real. He could say it because he was still near to God. Help me, teenagers. Amen. Amen. All right. (laughs) So what was it for Asaph that caused him to slip? What was it that, that made him almost slip, almost lose his way? I mean, this is a worshiper. This is a believer. This is a guy who works in the church. He's one of the psalmists. Not just anybody gets to write these. And yet he almost slipped. The next verse tells us, look at verse 3. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Can I tell you, this struggle is as real today As it ever was. I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Honest truth. It's hard to serve God when when you feel like you keep getting overlooked for the promotion on the job. It's hard to trust God with your relationship when, when you can't even get a date. It's hard to trust God with your finances when you don't feel like you've got enough money to pay the next bill. How many of you know it gets really real? It's not just a verse of scripture that we quote. It's hard to trust God for your healing when the doctor says the cancer's back. There's moments in life where it moves beyond uh, something that we say we ascend to in our heart and in our mind to something that we have to flesh out. And this is the place where Asaph was. He said, yeah, yeah, God is good to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, man, I started looking at those people over there who don't love God, don't serve God, don't obey the commands of God. They want nothing to do with God. In fact, later on, they say that, what does God know? Does God know anything? And yet, while I'm struggling to do right, here they are living in prosperity and abundance Everything's going well. Their kid's on the honor roll. Mine's in the detention hall. What is going on? And he's struggling. He says, I envied them when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. It makes it hard to serve God in the difficult days. It makes it really hard in the difficult days when it seems to be working out for those who aren't serving God. Am I, am I the only one? Am I the only one that sometimes wondered, God, why, why is this, why is this not working for me? Why, why, why isn't this working for me? Why aren't you coming through for me the way that I think you're supposed to be coming through for me? That's right where Asaph finds himself. He gets into a place, it's dangerous, and there's a warning to us. 
It's a dangerous place of comparison. Look at verse 4 and 5. It says in verse 4 and 5, they have no struggles. He's talking about these wicked people that he's been looking at. He's talking about his neighbors, the Joneses across the street. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. Verse 5. They are free from common human burdens. Now, here, here's the danger of comparison. We lose perspective. We Just look at that verse up there. They are free from common human burdens. Come on, Asaph. They're called common human burdens because everybody has them. He is so distorted in his view right now. He's looking at these people that don't understand. He said, they, they don't have any problems. You ever said that before? Oh, they don't have any problems. I got all kinds of issues. Everything's going great for them. They don't even deal with the problems that are common to man. Somehow they figured something out that I don't know about. Here I am serving God and they have no issues. One of the greatest temptations for us is to compare our lives with other people. And and it never works out because if we see ourselves as much better than them, we fall into a place of pride. And the word says that a haughty spirit comes before a fall. Pride goes before destruction. And if we go the other way and we see ourselves as far less, as not measuring up, as not being, uh, you know, on the same level as them, then we, we fall into this uh, victimized mentality of, of thinking that we're disqualified from ever achieving or ever uh, getting to the place God said we're supposed to be because we just don't measure up to people. And the danger in doing that is that what we always do is we compare other people's highlight reel to our behind-the-scenes footage. Yeah, I mean, we, we get online and, and, and look at their beautiful Instagram photo of like the picture perfect family and everything's going great and they're having a vacation in Hawaii and, and you're sitting there with like your kids Cheerios stuck in your hair. You're just like. Free. They're free. They are free from the common human burdens. And here's Asaph. He's in the struggle. He's wrestling with this. The Bible says in James that that when we look into the word of God, it's like looking into a mirror. But when we when we look into other people's lives, it's like looking into a funny mirror. You know, like the ones at the carnival, like everything gets blown out. Everything's distorted and, and nothing makes sense. Envy is a dangerous thing to fall into when we start comparing ourselves to other people. We lose perspective on the faithfulness of God. We forget that God is for us. That's what happened to Asaph. In verse 4 through 12. He, he just goes on about. How the wicked have it so well. And, and maybe that's where you've been. You can just talk all day. About your co-workers. Talk all day about what's working for them. What's not working for you. Asaph gives in to a full blown pity party everywhere he looks he sees the prosperity of the wicked and verse 9 skip down there verse 9 is truer today than asaph ever could have imagined it when he wrote it here's what it says their mouths still talking about the wicked their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth in other words what he's saying is when they speak the whole world listens Nobody cares what I have to say, but when they speak, the whole world listens. And can I tell you, when he wrote that, he didn't know anything about social media. 
That is more true today than it's ever been. I, I just, out of curiosity, I looked online to see who had the top five Instagram accounts as of March of this year. The top five Instagram accounts for 2017. Number one, Selena Gomez, Taylor Swift, Ariana Grande, Beyonce, Kim Kardashian. Top Twitter accounts. Number one, Katy Perry. Number two, Justin Bieber. If any of you guys are here today, we're glad to have you. I'm not preaching against people or personalities, but just to give you a little comparison. If, if Katy Perry takes a picture of her new outfit, 96 million people get notified about it. That's 11 million more followers than our previous president had, Barack Obama. This verse is true in our day. Their tongues take possession of the earth. And the perception is this. And be careful, young people, because your generation is buying this hook, line, and sinker. The perception is verse 4 and 5. When we look at them as they have the ear of the whole world, the perception is they have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. He didn't know nothing about Photoshop when he wrote this. They are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. Isn't that our world today? And here's the warning to to us parents. Verse 10. He says, therefore, their people turn to them and they drink up waters in abundance. They drink it up. That's what's happening in our world today. People are just drinking up whatever's being sold, whatever's whatever's trending. People are just drinking it up in abundance. And what's happening is our children are being indoctrinated by this message that glorifies an unrealistic life. And how could you not fall into the snare of Asaph and you're looking at your life and and you're looking at your experiences with God and trying to live by His Word and trying to honor God and you're looking out at the prosperity of the wicked and you're buying in to the lie of the enemy that they're free of common burdens. Their bodies are perfect. There's nothing wrong with their life. Why would I want to continue to toe this line of obedience? Asaph admits it. In verse 3, he said, I, I envied. I envied the prosperity of the wicked. I envied them. And in verse 12, look at verse 12. He says, this is what the wicked are like. They're always free of care. They go on amassing wealth. Now he finds himself in a really dangerous spot. Verse 13. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocent. There it is. That's the moment. That's the place where Satan inserts his lie. Surely in vain I've kept my heart pure. You know what he was saying? Here's the lie from the enemy. Serving God isn't worth it. 
When you go to write out that, that tithe check at the beginning of the month and, and, and you're looking at your bills and you're looking out the kitchen window at your neighbor's bass boat, the lie from the enemy is serving God isn't worth it. When you're struggling to have morality and to live decency and ethically and you see everybody else just living it up, having fun, and seemingly they suffer no consequences for it, the lie from the enemy is surely in vain. Have you kept your heart pure? The Living Bible says it like this. Have I been wasting my time? Why take the trouble to be pure? Here's the epitome of his pity party. Verse 14, look at it. All day long, I have been afflicted. And every morning brings new punishment. Here's, here's Asaph. He has now hit rock bottom. I mean, not only are, are the wicked prospering, not only are they free from the common burdens of man, but I'm being afflicted. I'm getting served punishment for breakfast. I mean, this is my life. Nothing is going well for me. And can I just tell you, that's the way self-pity works. It's like quicksand. The longer you wallow in it, the quicker you sink. He's overwhelmed now. He's being so troubled in his emotions. He cannot see clearly. He needs to get a fresh perspective. Now, the book of Psalms is actually five books. And Psalm 73 is the first psalm in book number three. These are the wisdom psalms. And the next verse, verse 15 is maybe some of the wisest wisdom that Asaph gives us in all of this. He's about to do something very wise. Look at verse 15. He says, if I had spoken out like that, all that he just said from verse 4 through verse uh, 12, he said, if I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. He's talking to God. Maybe the smartest thing that Asaph did was keep his mouth shut. I mean, he was struggling. He, he was struggling. But, and he was saying, is it even worth serving God? But maybe the most brilliant thing that he could do is just not say it out loud. He just didn't open his mouth. He said, if I would have said this out loud, if I would have told it to your children, I would have betrayed them. Reality is, Asaph didn't write this psalm at verse 14. Aren't you glad? There's, there's another 14 verses coming, and I can promise you they're better than the first 14. He didn't, he didn't stop right there and say, this is where I'm at, I'm gonna publish this, I'm gonna put it out there, I'm gonna post it, I'm gonna tweet it, I'm gonna let everybody know, I don't even know if God's worth serving anymore, cause I'm having a bad day. I just had punishment for breakfast. What are you eating? No, he says, hey, this is tough. Here's what Matthew Henry said. I, I got to read this to you. Matthew Henry is a, a brilliant commentator. He said these words somewhere they're in here. He said, if therefore thou hast been so foolish as to think evil, be so wise as to lay thy hand upon thy mouth and let it go no further. If thou beest so foolish as to think evil, be wise and lay thy hand upon thy mouth 
Now, it's not saying that, that we, we should just come and pretend everything's okay. And if you're struggling, don't tell us today. God forbid you discourage me. That's not what it's saying. He said, I would have discouraged the children. If you're going through a struggle, you need somebody you can talk to. You need a brother. You need a sister in Christ. But you need somebody who's grounded. Somebody who's stable. Somebody who's not struggling with the same thing you're struggling with. He's saying, don't discourage people, the children. Don't discourage people in their faith. You just, you gotta, you gotta press on. You gotta just wait this out. You gotta trust God. Sure, there's, you can talk to people. You can get encouragement. You can have people pray for you. But he's saying there's a word of caution here. And Jesus gave this word of caution. Straight from the mouth of our Savior. He said, if any one of you causes one of these young ones to stumble, you'd be better off to have a millstone tied around your neck and thrown into the sea. I know that sounds less like Jesus and more like the Godfather, but he did say that. He was serious about us discouraging the faith. Of weaker believers. Maybe the wisest thing that Asaph did was just to cover his mouth. Let me give you a scripture to back that up. I love this verse. Proverbs chapter 30 verse 32 says, If you play the fool and exalt yourself, or if you plan evil, clap your hand over your mouth. Just don't spread it. It doesn't have to go viral. So what do we do then? What are we supposed to do? I mean, if I can't see God moving in my life, if it seems like serving Him it, it isn't, isn't worth it because I got my eyes on other people's circumstances, I'm, I'm losing the battle of comparison and envy and, and jealousy, and, and I'm just struggling with what's happening in my life. What do I do? That was the question that Asaph asked, and, and that's where I want to get to at the conclusion here. What do I do? Look at verse 16. He said, when I tried to understand all of this, it troubled me deeply. Now, some of you just found yourself in Psalm 73 right there. I've been trying to understand it. And truth be told, I understand it. It troubled me deeply. That's why Proverbs 3 and 5 says to lean not on our own understanding. It will trouble you deeply. There are some things that are going on that just don't make sense To us, on his own, Asaph could not have figured it out, but he does something. And this is the only reason that this is worth being a psalm. Because up to this point, you're thinking, what is this all for? I mean, 14 verses of misery and whining and complaining and looking at the world and being jealous. He does something in verse 17 that makes all the difference. Here's what it is. It troubled me deeply until I entered. The sanctuary of God. In a moment of stepping out of your circumstances and into the presence of God. Your perspective can change. Your perception of your reality can change. The weight that you carried in can be lifted off of your shoulders. In a moment of just stepping into the sanctuary of God. You couldn't paint a darker picture of a guy who's struggling to the point of saying, is serving God even worth it? And he's a minister in the church. None of it makes sense to me. Maybe you've had one of those moments. Maybe yours is far deeper than envy. Maybe it's loss. Maybe it's grief. 
Maybe it's a sustained sickness in your life. And it's got you pushed up against the wall of doubt. And you're saying, is it even worth it? I mean, is it even worth it to serve God? Well, you may not be any better at answering that question than Asaph was. That's why you need verse 17. None of it made sense. I was deeply troubled until, until I entered the sanctuary of God. I just want to invite you today with this simple instruction. Come into God's presence. I'm not talking about just standing and singing or coming to church. Well, that's significant and God can use these moments and I'm praying He does. I'm saying if it happens on Monday, don't struggle all week. Step into God's presence. Right there in the privacy of your own bedroom. Open your Bible. Turn on some worship music. Shut out the noise. Take a walk and just step into the presence of the Most High God. What happened? When he stepped into the presence of God, all of a sudden he got a fresh perspective. He got a right perspective of the deity of God and the difficulties he was facing. He saw the greatness of God. He saw the majesty of God. He saw the eternal plan of God. Before that, all he could see was what was happening this morning. But I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. All of a sudden, he got a glimpse of eternity. People that he was envying, suddenly he felt sorry for. These people don't know God. I mean, they might think they have it easy today. But, but I can see where they're headed now. All of a sudden, there was an appreciation for what God had done and was doing in his life. See, what the enemy wants to do, he wants to crop in your perspective today. He wants you to see nothing beyond today. That's why the psalmist said, Oh, let us magnify the Lord. Let us exalt His name together. You understand, when you magnify God, you're not actually making Him any bigger. It's not Him that changes in our worship. It's our perspective. All of a sudden, when I step into the presence of God, everything else looks smaller by comparison. When I magnify the Lord, you got to get into His presence. Quickly, look at the next couple verses. Go down to verse 21. He's testifying now. He's been in God's presence. He's got a right perspective. And he says, when my heart was grieved and my spirit was embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. How would you like it if I led us in a closing prayer that way? Repeat after me. I'm a brute beast. Right. We don't usually use those words, but it was just honest. He was saying, God, I realized that, man, when I was envying the wicked, when I was in a funk, I was horrible. I was a beast. I was an animal. I I was way out of line. You know what this is? This is repentance. It's repentance of sin. Call it what it is, whether it's envy or, or anger or it was sin. And all of the sudden, because he's entered into the presence of God, his heart became soft. He became moldable again. That's what God wants to do in your life. The things that you're looking at with clenched fists saying, God, if you don't, then I won't. If this doesn't work out, then I'll never. God wants to bring you into his presence to give you a new perspective where your heart becomes soft as clay and moldable in his presence. And suddenly you recognize God. (laughs) Same way that Job did. He was shaking his fist at God. All of a sudden, he got a revelation of the majesty of God. And he he just fell to pieces. 
God, forgive me. Who am I to question you? Our perspective changes. We get into God's presence. We repent of our sin. Our perspective changes. Look at verse 23. You can see the perspective of Asaph. He said, yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. Look at the next part of verse 24. You guide me with your counsel. See, all that time, Asaph thought that God had abandoned him. He thought, well, God's not showing up for me. Why should I show up for him? And then he got in the presence of God and he realized that while he thought he was all alone in the dark, God was holding his right hand. He realized, wow, God, you were right, you were right there. I, I didn't, I didn't see you. I didn't know what you were up to, but you were right there with me. Our perspective of God changes. See, a lot of times our faith rises and falls in relation to our understanding of the proximity of God. If God feels close, we're full of faith. If God feels distant, we struggle. That's where Asaph was. That's where some of you are. But in this moment, he recognizes, God, I I was feeling this way. But the truth is, you were holding my right hand. Our perspective of God changes. Our perspective of the world changes when we step into God's presence. The latter part of verse 24, he says, and afterward, you will take me in to glory. Now he's got now he's got a perspective of this world, the things that he wanted so desperately. The things that he was coveting, the things that he was envying, the things that he desired. All of a sudden, he said, this world has nothing for me. Look at verse 25. He said, the earth has nothing that I desire besides you. Verse 26, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and he is my portion forever. His whole perspective changed on God and on the world and on his desires. Here's what I've discovered to be true in my life. I'm sure you've made the same observation. Whatever you cultivate grows. Some people have this, this misnomer that that. Because I've been saved for a certain amount of time, one of these days something's going to click and I'm just going to all of a sudden have a desire for the Word of God. Like if I just go to church long enough, if I just, you know, say I'm a Christian long enough, one of these days I'm just going to, I'm just going to have a thirst for God's presence in my life. It's not true. Whatever you cultivate grows. The appetite you feed increases. Jesus didn't say those who are filled will hunger and thirst for righteousness. He said if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you'll be filled. You have to develop the appetite. How do we do it? We get into God's presence. We come into His presence. We enter the sanctuary of God. And it's in that place where we begin to develop an appetite for the presence of God and for the things of God. And, and here's, here's another, but as for me, statement. I mean, think about the, the contrast from the beginning in chapter 2 to the end in verse 8. He's got a new confession. Verse 27 says this. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. 
That's what God's presence can do in your life. In verse 2, he says, But as for me, my foot had almost slipped until I entered the sanctuary of God. But as for me, it's good to be near to God. God wants you in His presence. Daily, He wants you in His presence. Don't sit outside of the courts of the Lord and try to understand. Because when I tried to understand all of it, it was too deep. Enter in. Enter into the presence of God. It'll change your perspective on God. It'll change your perspective on this world and on eternity. It'll change your perspective on the things that you're craving and desiring. You'll get a hunger for righteousness. There's one final word. I have to mention this one because this is really what I believe is the the acid test of an authentic experience with God. It's the last word in the psalm. It says at the end of verse 28. He says, I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. When you enter into the presence of God. And I'm not just talking about singing songs. I mean when God moves in your heart and you get a new perspective, you will be compelled to go out and share that message. He said, I I will tell of all your deeds. I will tell somebody. I can't keep this to myself. God is so good. I got to share the good news. I got to share this with somebody. Now we're going to close this service. But I want us to just respond in a very practical way right now because this is a message you're going to live out monday to friday but before we leave this atmosphere i want to ask you to respond in a practical way so i'm going to ask this worship team if you guys would just come back for the conclusion of this service and we're going to we're going to just take a moment here and we're going to sing the song that we sang early in this service it just simply says i exalt thee i exalt thee and what i want you to know as we as we do this i want you to I want you to step in, in your heart. Now, if you want to come to the altar, you're you're welcome to to physically move. Sometimes that's what it takes. Sometimes we have to get into a new place, into a new posture. Maybe you need to bow down. Maybe you need to lift your hands. But more than all of that, on the exterior, what I want you to do is in your heart and your mind and say, God, I'm stepping in. Right now, God, I'm, I'm entering in to your sanctuary. Now I understand, and you do too, that God's presence is here. We're in His presence right now. But I want you to practice this exercise with me right now. Because tomorrow or the next day or or Friday, you may be back at a place where everything is pushing you back against the wall that has you wrestling with the question, is it even worth it? And you need to know how to step in. So would you stand to your feet with me all over this room? I want to pray for you. Father, today, Lord, there may be somebody in this room that is far from you. They don't know you as Lord and Savior. Maybe they've struggled and they've wrestled and they feel like they're in that that quicksand. That the more they struggle and the more they fight and resist, they're just sinking faster. God, today, I pray that you would usher them into your presence. God, help them maybe in just these closing moments of this service to feel something they've never felt before. The peace of God, the clarity, the the magnitude of God. You are so much bigger than all of our problems. 
You are bigger than all of our fears, than all of our regrets, than all of the circumstances that we face. All those things that we magnify. They don't hold a candle to your greatness. So God, we want to shift the lens. And we want to magnify the Lord.